man, I remember my my first time I went to a WWF. I still haven't accepted WWE. Uh, my WWF event. I went to a uh, an event at Selland Arena, and my dad took me, and I was on this like uh, I was on this little rail, you know, like the little kid holding up the rail, and I see the first guy that comes through is Shawn Michaels. And I'm like, the heartbreak kid. Like, this is a badass. And then I see The Undertaker come in, and I'm like, this is the largest human being I had ever seen. And uh, I know you guys are WWE people, too, especially you, DF. Did the what? show start? Is this how you start them? Yeah, just keep going. You just go. This is fantastic. Yeah, just go. <laughs> Everybody else has an intro. No, we don't need an intro. People I love know it. you already. I love it. Can we at least get some wrestling intro Not an intro. Not you. an intro for me. I just mean a show intro. No, no, we just go. I love that. We just go. Yeah, why? Why that's intro? It's no like, it's like, hey, we're, we're, we're friends. We just sort of yeah. pick up where we left off. We just keep going. Yeah. I love your T-shirt. Thank you. I got it just just for this podcast. I don't know if people can see it, but it's The Undertaker. <laughs> the original Undertaker. What was he? Do you remember his name before he was The Undertaker? The, the, uh, uh, Mark Callis? The, yeah. The, I think he was like Mean Mark Callis. Mean Mark. Yeah, yeah. like super redhead, right? Yeah, yeah. I think it was Mean Mark. He was in WCW. Mm-hmm. I don't think For like they, a little bit. I don't think they thought he had much of a uh, much of a future, and then they came up with the Undertaker character. So yeah. And Paul Bear. Have you heard him tell the story about when he gets the call? Yeah, I did. I listened to the the his interview on Rogan podcast, and I was like, wow, this is it's pretty cool, actually. Just those like moments that change your life forever. Yeah. You know. And not knowing what character you're going to be, and all of a sudden Vince McMahon calls you and like, hey, I've got a character that I see yeah, you in. He says, you're the Undertaker. And he, he was perfect for it. So imagine if the Undertaker quit wrestling and then became an Undertaker. So that's kind of what you did, right? Like well, you were Mr. Franks, and now you're Mr. Franks. Sort of, yeah. I guess you could <laughs> – I never thought of it that way. You know, my, my start in, in – Wrestling actually goes prior to that. We can talk about Mr. Franks too, because that comes later. But uh, actually, my my intro. I was a wrestling fan, you know. Uh, but my intro to the World Wide Web when it came online in the late '90s, when I was in high school, was I I was uh, going I was going on pro wrestling websites, and then before I knew it, I was running a pro wrestling website with rumors and what? we would cover the pay-per-views for people who were you know didn't want to buy the yeah. pay the 30 or 40 bucks or whatever we did play-by-play updates on a message like basically board basically like a live tweet yeah yeah you were live tweeting live tweeting I, was, I, you know i wish i would have been smart enough to connect the dots and invent something really you know yeah life-changing but i was you know doing it on a message board and uh you know then i realized i needed to learn graphic design so i got adobe photoshop and taught myself so i could make pro wrestling websites that was my intro <laughs> to doing something besides just you know stuff that high school kids do for work uh so i was you know a, a, a pro wrestling website webmaster wow. in the late 90s uh doing pay-per-view play-by-play uh long before i was you know mr franks and so how how, how did you become mr franks well years later you know so you know you, you're wrestling's a funny thing because you don't it's sort of uh i think every wrestling fan and people that you listen to that are in that industry always say there's kind of a stigma like it's a little uh you're not necessarily sure if you should tell someone you like wrestling because right. it's yeah. sometimes it's like do you believe in ufos or not you're like, <laughs> is this person cool enough or no yeah so you're always kind of like uh tread softly before you reveal you know yeah um it's way more mainstream now right and much different but uh uh so you're gonna kind of go uh Feel it out a little feel bit. Feel it out before you yeah. really go full on yeah. under show up in your Undertaker shirt, right? Right. And yeah. um, so uh, my friend Lance Cardoza was he runs Lucha Extreme mm-hmm. and uh, he knew I was a wrestling fan. We Matt and I did the uh, uh, the you know, wrestling promotion with Lance at the stadium where it was like mascot wrestling, I think it was the first time. And I'll never forget I didn't even know we had mascot wrestling. So fast forward to the Grizzlies promotion, mascot wrestling night. And I pulled in on Saturday. You know, so many promotions. We play 70 games. There's everything. You come up with everything you can possibly think of. I'll never forget, as a lifelong wrestling fan, uh, I pulled in one day on a Saturday. You know, we're working a lot of games in a row. I'm kind of still tired at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. I'm showing up, and I kind of pick my head up, and I'm standing next to a full-on wrestling ring, red ropes and everything. (laughs) And I went, what? 
what, what, why is this here? You're welcome. I call him. Why is this here? It's Mask mascot Steven wrestling night. Oh my gosh, I missed it. We, we were bored last night. Set to build a wrestling <laughs> ring for you. So yeah. I, uh, anyway, from there, I you know, Lance later asked me to help him with this TV show, and I got to be a character. Um, you know, but you can say we can say what you want about professional wrestling, whatever it is. No matter how much of a fan you are, when you show up and you see a full blown ring has been built. And someone tells you to climb in, you immediately grab that top rope and you oh, go yeah. to town. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> if you you're can, tall enough, you go over the top. You, you could like be, Undertaker. you could be the biggest anti person a lot. My dad was at the inaugural uh, mascot wrestling thing. He could care <laughs> less about this, but as soon as that bell went off, he is on the rope going, "This is great! Look at this! <laughs> it's so entertaining. I mean, you can't not enjoy it. I mean, it's just, it's chaotic. I mean, even when we did lucha." extreme stuff at the ballpark i'm just like what the hell is going on but if there's a pool of people around it like taco truck throwdown people around the wrestling ring i'm like hey i guess there's more people into it than you think you just got to make sure you're you're informing all the mascots before they get in how to properly get into a ring so i don't want to you know, kind of talk about the organization itself, but making sure if you are the mascot for a law enforcement agency with a fancy head on, make sure you're removing your service pistol from your hip so oh, no one geez. grabs it accidentally. <laughs> so just make sure you know you're getting into an active wrestling ring going in. Oh, good old Chip. <laughs> you know, bef before, I don't know if back then they, the term bucket list was like a part of our normal everyday lexicon, but, so I didn't know what that was, but my, my bucket list was to get in and take a bump in a ring, and mm -hmm. I, we got to do it thanks to mascot wrestling. Except Explain your character. Well, so it, there's a couple different things here. So on Mascot Wrestling Night, I used to play a character at the at the Grizzlies games that was uh, a, a hot dog character. Um, and so I was playing the hot dog mascot character. Okay. That particular night, I took my first bump. And this is really ridiculous. I can't believe that I'm even admitting this. But, uh, you know, my, my character was, was called, I mean, really creative it was it was the, the gimmick was called Derek's Franks <laughs> and so I remember Scott Carter was the one who um, you know came up with the the concept and and basically we had this Monday night promotion where it, you know in the I don't know when it was the 2009-10 somewhere in there uh, Monday nights was Monday Madness it was a hot dog ticket promotion and so they said hey how on monday nights you play a hot dog character and the, the name was derek's franks my name right derek's franks so i had a bucket full of hot dogs that were the franks and uh i would basically in between innings i would throw 15 hot dogs into the crowd to fans and i had a little shtick and i would uh you know i i oversold the how many hot dogs i had that was the whole presentation we came up with was like you know hot dogs for everybody and it was <laughs> like you run out after like yeah, yeah. And, the, and the mc would play it up he'd go who wants everybody gets a hot dog wow derek that's very generous and i would go i would tap him and i'd go i don't hold on i'd whisper to him i go i don't have hot dogs for everybody i don't have enough and i have clearly I have a small bucket of them and uh he would go well we we have almost enough for everybody we're gonna do our best here and i would tap him again and i'd go he'd go why don't you just tell him, Derek? And he, I go, I got about 15 hot dogs. That's all I can do. <laughs> and so I'd throw them. So that character was a character uh, it, that recurred. And so that was how I got into mascot wrestling. I got to be mm. the guy. And my suit was nimble. It's just one of those, like, ridiculous Halloween costume ones where your head just pops just out, out of a hole. And so <laughs> I had mobility and whatnot. So they're like, you're going to be at the end of the match. I don't want to spoil it for any kids or anything, but, mm. you know, it was predetermined right uh, so uh, so uh, unfortunate they're like we there was no real thing like bounce around and and you're going to be in the final two and so i took a big clothesline from Ooh. parker bear at the end and while wearing a helmet <laughs> yeah yeah i used a helmet inside to keep the uh thing from slipping down over my eyes <laughs> so i did a big clothesline I, I sold the clothesline the way that i had dreamed for a <laughs> long time to be able to do by watching wwe wrestling and I got a little pop from Lance and some of his wrestling guys. They're like, "Oh, you know, this it was a good, good, it was a good this pop. Good. I, I sold it, you know." And so from there, then opened the door, you know, for wrestling. And then later, Lance said, "Hey, you want to come be a help me with the show? I need a kind of a heel uh, manager guy for a couple guys." And so uh, very creative. I was Derek's Frank's the hot dog guy. Then I was Mr. Frank's the uh, heel uh, financial advisor for. Uh, uh, you know a heel character i yeah. was the money man right that's so, great yeah. i mean it's perfect it, it makes me think of my favorite 
guy that that was able to really sell it was when the rock would get stone cold when he'd get stunned i mean there's no better i just remember that as as growing up like he would just go crazy so that's impressive you were able to we just had 316 day recently and so i you know i watched a whole bunch of uh stone cold they had like a deal on the network of uh the 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 stunner it was like a 20 minute documentary on the stunner and you know they cover yeah. that the rock it's my dad's my dad's favorite character and he now looks like stone cold steve austin he does <laughs> <laughs> so man i mean the grizzlies gave us a ton of opportunities to cut our teeth and uh i remember i think for all of us we've probably done a bunch of dumb stuff and i was able to be a drag king i don't even know if you can say that anymore but i was a drag king and so i would drag the field and then when it when it got halfway through the drag and like whatever inning it was, I would start dancing, and I was terrible, like absolutely miserable. And I remember it's really funny because Troy Simeon, Nick Haas, myself, and I think I forget who else was with us. One of the person, Chris Coots. Oh my goodness! And it was the year of um, oh, what's that thing called? Um, the Harlem Shake. Mm. And so we thought it'd be clever to do like the Harlem Shake, which was this crazy YouTube sensation video where people like are all doing crazy stuff when the music hits a certain point. And then the original Harlem Shake was like a dance, a kind of urban dance back in the day. So we thought we'd do a combination of the two. And afterwards, I just remember Derek crowling us and going, what the fuck was that? What the fuck was that? I didn't say the F word. You said that. It's an embellishment. I don't <laughs> You swear. said, what was that? That's that. Never do that again. <laughs> And we walked away defeated. We had practiced for a week. And so, but it was hilarious because each time we'd do this new stupid dance and afterwards you'd be like, what did you think? And you'd be like, mm, not. Nah. <laughs> that's the baseball mentality. Sometimes it's just not your night. You got to no, go to the bullpen. Hey. Call it in. I don't know if that's still happening, but it was an enjoyable time. There's good YouTube yeah. videos of that. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> that's why former directors of marketing for the Grizz stopped asking my opinions on what the dance move should be. They said, just stop coming to these meetings, go back in your hole. Stop trying to give us ideas not to dance. Well, when you're a good dancer, you have different ideas than that. <laughs> Did you ever get in an outfit or uh, anything? I have one Parker Bear tackle to my credit during a, a mid-inning skit, but that was about it. The dancing, I was the regular ground screw. I just drugged the field and got the hell out of there. You just got out of there. Yeah, no one needs to see Did you dancing. do the tackle on the uh, like the streak? I got the, I that, that my intern year, I dressed up in the red security polo, came out of the bullpen, and leveled him on the uh, <laughs> on the outfield. <laughs> got him good. Got him good. You're you're pro probably in top my top three people I wouldn't want to be leveled by. <laughs> no, no chance. Maybe, maybe top two. Yeah. So what's going on with the Grizzlies? What's up lately? I well, mean, exciting stuff. Season yeah, started. I mean for us we're you know we've been on the on the in hibernation you know is the kind of the, the we're coming out of hibernation is the marketing thing right mm -hmm. we're uh, you know never you go back to so last March. It, we were we did a quick trip to spring training to go visit the nationals in um, in Florida, and we got back on March 10th, and you know it was a pandemic within a couple of days, and then March 13th was the last day we had people in the office, and so um, you know it took me a while to think that we wouldn't play a season. We thought we'd play by Memorial Day, then we thought it would be Fourth of July, so. Um, you know, needless to say, this last year has been, uh, uh, you know, a ton of anticipation to get back to playing baseball. And a lot's happened this last year, obviously, with, you know, the whole structure of minor league baseball has been reimagined by Major League Baseball. I think for the better overall, it's um, – uh, so there's a lot of changes that kind of modernize the uh, system. And uh, But the good news for everybody that likes going to Grizzlies games is uh, – we're going to open on May 11th, and we're mm. going to be back. So mm -hmm. um, we're excited to get going. I think, as you guys know, you've been in, in the trenches getting ready six weeks or five weeks or whatever it is before we open up. Uh, you know, it, it starts to get stressful and busy, and everybody's got a grin on their face because it's like, you know, this is, this is different than normal years, obviously. Yeah. Not just because we're opening with restrictions and, you know, kind of easing into things, but because we had to wait a long time for it. So. Yeah. I mean, I, I I was talking to somebody from the USL yesterday, and they asked, you know, what are you the most excited about going into your inaugural season? I'm like, man, I just want to see a team on the field again. 
Like it's been so long to watch people compete at a high level and enjoy that, like the winning and the the agony of defeat and just the you know the emotion that goes on with with sports. And um, man, that's super exciting. I'll be there if there's a ticket. Well, yeah, it's interesting. So we uh, we were talking today about you know the the red tier gives us a twenty percent capacity. That's where we're at as of this week. So we've got at least we've been planning for red, which is the twenty percent, about two thousand give or take seats in our stadium with distancing and and uh, pod seating set up. And um, then you know as of today we were talking and well some people are projecting we might be in the orange, which is thirty three percent. So we're in a tricky spot now where we're planning for one thing, kind of make a quick pivot to a little bit larger capacity. So. Um, it's great. We're 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 uh, we're down down to it, and uh, everybody's staying nimble just to be sure. Yeah. Uh, but it's a good feeling, and, and you know it'll it'll look different starting out, but um, you know the, the schedule's so much better. I was looking at it. I'm yeah. like, man, for for me and you, Matt, who dealt with travel and player operations and all that stuff throughout the years, like getting one day off a week, and it's the same exact day every week, and the majority of the travel is is by bus and not plane. You can leave the night of the game and get there sometime late, you know, early in the morning, and the guys have a full off day where they can just do whatever they're going to do. I mean, it's, it seems to me like a way better system than the past of having a ton of screwy work days. And, like, I, I mean, we can go through travel 3. all 45 a.m. airport runs to lump bags back <clears throat> and forth. I was going to say, man, for a bunch of guys who've been done the uh, 3 a.m. airport oh. run no more times than they want to admit, <laughs> yeah, the travel's drastically different. The the synchronized off day. And, you know, the the off day thing is it makes perfect sense, right, where every Monday's off. It's a simple schedule. Uh, makes perfect sense. And I think, you know, in the, in the previous way they did the schedule, uh, everybody was guaranteed – either the 3rd or the 4th of July. So we could get the one big, you know, summer uh, important game for us, the 4th of July, you know, big sellout tradition for us. Um, and so if you didn't get the 4th, you got the 3rd, so you could take advantage of that holiday. And, uh, you know, this what year. What date does that fall on this year? So th- we have both the 3rd and the 4th. They uh-huh. said, you know, in our league, there's a, there's uh, we've got eight teams. I think there's three who can't have the 4th of July based on, you know the the their city or or some other thing um, prohibits them from putting on a show. So uh, I don't know the exact details, but there's three out of the eight that don't want the fourth because oh, they can't awesome. they aren't allowed to host it. So uh, I think that's the reason so now you're gonna you do can do two like two fourth of July yeah, nights. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to do two, and yeah. then that allows you if you just say hey, there's not a bunch of special cases. You know, if you got to cut a, a a homestand between the third and the fourth, it's sort of the rest of your schedule almost. Is created around that, and yeah. in this case, we go no Mondays. It's really easy, so yeah, it'll be fun. I like it a lot. I remember, I mean, travel, travel's crazy. I mean, I, it's it's a question I've got a lot about USL League One because they're like, you know, for anybody who's ever dealt with traveling teams, I mean, we the closest team to us is Tucson, and then there's a team near uh, just north of Denver, like Fort Collins area. So those two trips are fairly easy. Um, you can fly there um, relatively easy. But we've got Toronto, Miami, New York. I mean, there's, like, all of these uh, crazy destinations. Luckily, it's not like baseball where these guys were leaving every four days You're or eight days. <laughs> you're playing I remember there was a the, – just the way it works when you're working your tail off and you decide to take a day off. I went to a wedding uh, with Kyle Kleiman, one of our buddies, uh, in Detroit. It was for uh, for another Kyle that used to be a Grizzlies employee. Great wedding, uh, but anyways, so I'm I'm in Detroit, about to go to a, I think we were going to a Tigers game that night, and uh, I get a phone call that the team was going to uh, I think Albuquerque, yeah, it was Albuquerque, and they got to Phoenix. There was a huge storm. They missed their layover. It's now three or four o'clock in the afternoon they play at seven and finally we're talking about trying to scramble a charter and all these other things if we miss the game it's a substantial fine (laughs) um so somehow we get a flight i think it was american scrambles a flight gets us there and then they start circling albuquerque airport because there's a huge storm they can't land so they have to land in i think santa fe now it's like six o'clock and so apparently, as this gets crazier, they did try to land in Albuquerque, and it, the 
the pilot wasn't comfortable, so he pulled up, pulled out of it. And uh, Jumbo Diaz, I don't know, remember if you remember Jumbo Diaz. He's oh, yeah. a he's a big league guy for a long time. Big dude. Yeah. Big dude. That's uh that's not a that's a nickname, and it's he's big. He's a big guy, and so he's walking up and down the ailes of of the airplane with the boombox. <laughs> As, As they're do. going through this circling process. And finally, the, the pilot's like, God, you need to turn that down and sit down. They land in Santa Fe. Somehow the airport scrambles a bus, gets the players from Santa Fe, which I think is about an hour outside of Albuquerque. And, uh, and they get them to Albuquerque right before the national anthem. And the guys suit up and go out there and play a game, and they win. And it's just like... Of course, that would happen on the day I'm gone at a wedding. Like, but it's crazy stuff like that that uh, I think some people who are fans of the sport don't always get to see the crazy things that happen behind the scenes, especially yeah. at this level. It, I mean, it was it was a Fourth of July game. It was either 11 or 12. Bags were late for Salt Lake City coming in. So we're figuring, okay, how are we going to get this? And bags being late was a more often occurrence than anyone actually realizes oh, in yeah. AAA. Often. Oh, yeah. So I'm on the phone. Especially with the, in Fresno Airport where they're taking the little planes to get here. On the phone with the airline all day trying to figure out where these bags are, this and that, and where they're coming in. They're talking to the coaches. Salt Lake bags is always a challenge, too, for it's whatever a, it's reason. It's always the worst. Luckily, the manager of the Salt Lake had a pretty good sense of humor. So we're trying to figure out which players don't have their bags. And, oh, crap, well, it's a starting catcher and this and that. So we're planning it all. Turns out there was a flight that was landing at about 6.15, 6.30 at the airport. So I make my calls in the old Parker's pickup, mind you, hauling tail to the airport, <laughs> sitting on the tarmac waiting for the plane to land. The plane lands. Bags start coming down. I'm reaching onto the carousel, grabbing the bags from the actual plane, throwing them in the back. And we had a police escort onto the tarmac at the time. It says, I'm going off. I lean out the window. I tell the guy, hey, man, I'm going to be moving pretty quick. So tell your boys down the road, just give me a free shot to the chuck. <laughs> and as I'm coming back at the ballpark, just flying through downtown, coming down, I hit the ramp. And pregame is starting, so here come the fireworks for the anthem. So as I'm driving down the ramp, here come the. I felt like I was an opening day. Fireworks are going <laughs> off in the ramp. As I'm pulling, about to drive as I'm the pulling down to the lower lot, here's Alexi Amarista for uh, the Salt, for Salt Lake team. He was about five foot two. He's in his jersey, his hat, holding a baseball bat like a Looney Tunes character, <laughs> no in his pants. sliders and a jock strap, <laughs> waiting for his pants. His pants were in the bag. The only thing he didn't have uh, were his pants. I throw his bag out. He puts his pants on, runs out on the field, and literally takes the field to play ball. Wow. Well, well here we go. Yeah. My, Fourth, I mean, Fourth baseball, of July in America. Well, yeah. I mean, for, for us, the Pacific Coast League travel is a – I mean, to have that as your only experience or your first experience doing travel – it's it's the it gets you ready for anything because it's it, to your point that the flights and the times and the uh, I mean we all everything every, we all cut our teeth yeah. in the, probably in the gauntlet it's the most difficult travel sports. league in sports right talk about yeah, off I days so. I once took a phone call while I was floating on the Kings River on an off day <laughs> floating down ha trying to drink something in one hand talking a phone on the other hand not hit a tree with the other and trying to figure out how to reroute someone who's a starting picture for the next ga next game coming in so <laughs> yeah the margin of errors there's no margin for error when they play that many games and you have that tight a window i can't believe there's not more mistakes i just like i well changing i mean guys names overnight and in the mornings and at the airport i mean really it's it goes to the the there's so many good travel coordinators you There's guys both did ones. that job yeah. all throughout that league there's so many good um you know linda agoas out there mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. the the you know it's travel's tough but there's so many great people at the airport the yeah. you, you got a police escort i mean i mean so many people help pull it off when they the things are going it. down i mean my the thing that's that's a crazy one too we started you know we go to these pcl meetings and we talk a lot about travel and how to limit the uh you know errors that can happen and 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 help us make these difficult trips and we started doing a lot um you know shipping shipping the stuff you know yeah. a lot more in the last few years than we did you know early on when you were um it was like we figured out a way to do that more often and you know it's stuff that you like you know, the game happens and you're sitting in the stands and you get to see the, what was planned but you know we've had the deal where it's like all right the team's in el paso and everybody's there and they have their personal bags and we sent a, a truck that, to ship the other stuff to make it work faster and it's like some of these companies are so good they've got like a gps deal now you can see the where this truck is so we got guys that are tracking it you know all right we're, we're tracking okay they're gonna get there you know three hours before the game We'd like it to be there sooner but that works and then all of a sudden it's like emergency what happened stop 
takes a stop and you're looking at the GPS, like he stopped. Oh. And and I'll never forget the first time as I was, uh, you know, taking on different role and, and helping out with more of the travel side, like what's going on? It's like, I think the guy's asleep. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like, what? What do you mean he's asleep? He's asleep. It's one guy in a truck out in the middle of nowhere, Texas. Right. He's and asleep. And they go in these, like, little sprinter vans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And some of them just, I mean, they just drive straight. Yeah, what do they like, do? They I mean, go. they're just driving. You Had know? delivery pull- delayed because there were sheep being walked across Highway 152 no. outside of Los Banos. <laughs> <laughs> got to wait till the sheep go through. There's nothing I can do there. Yeah. <laughs> well, damn. I mean, so you've got... I mean, obviously, baseball season's coming, but you guys announced Taco Truck Throwdown. Santheon just announced a date. I yeah. think people are pretty pumped at some of the stuff. That, what's What are those two like? Well, you know, it was important for us to look uh, not beyond baseball because, you know, look, uh, we've had this. We've waited a long time to get Grizzlies baseball back going. We spent the last year listening to, you know, all the stories, and you talk to all your fans, and it's like, man, I didn't realize how much I miss. I would miss baseball going to Grizzlies games. And so you hear all those stories, you have a year to think about it and stuff. And then, you know, we've had this, of course, like I, I say, like this romantic thought of returning, having a, if you asked me back in July when, when they canceled the season, it's like, all right, we lost the season. Now let's look forward to returning to baseball in April. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, weather's great. We're packed. It's been a year of pent up. I get to go back and see my team again. And of course, COVID has been, you know, lingering, lingering longer and, and it's a faster recovery. So we don't get that romantic return on May 11th. It's yeah, still going to so be romantic. Don't day. get me wrong, sure. but it's not going to be what we envisioned of this, this packed house. It's this symbolic, we get, you know, return to normal. So, um, you know, I, I keep saying that, uh, Hey, look, we, you know, I, I enjoyed going to my favorite restaurants and sitting in their parking lot under a tent that felt awesome compared to my own home cooking that I was tired of, right? So it'll, you know, we don't get the full return the way we wanted, but we will get there. And so, but it, to that point, we thought it was important to look beyond the season because, you know, we it'll be a gradual return to higher capacity, less restrictions, and stuff as things improve. But we we figured by October, um, we could safely put the taco truck throwdown and know that if we landed out far enough, uh, we could start building an event and and tell you that hey even if even though you can maybe not be able to get opening night tickets because you're not a season ticket holder and capacity is limited we're going to get there and oh by the way we're also planning for the rest of the things that you want to return like santion concerts like taco truck throwdown so it's important for us to get that out early mm-hmm. um as a you know part of our commitment to we're, it's a, it's we're going to cul- get there it's a cultural event that has become i mean when you think about events that happen in fresno it's like you've got the fair and you've got Taco Truck Throwdown and, and Grizzly Fest, and really those are kind of, and Fres, yes. But, like, really those are kind of the big events that people look forward to for, like, uh, well in advance. And Fresno Street Eats has been killing it lately, oh, yeah. doing all these kind of pop-up events everywhere. I saw that there, there there's something about, like, remote Taco Truck Throwdown. Like, is that in the works? Yeah, so even this year we're, we're, pre- we're predicting that uh, we'll get to be more in a normal COVID reopening state by October. But... You know, we don't totally know today, right? So um, as I give Mike Azagata credit, Ray Ortiz, Sam Hansen, you know, they've always challenged me every year to make sure that we're always advancing the event and we're always growing um, in some way. And uh, this year it's hard to know what the capacity will be, even though we're, we're you know, feeling like that's going to be a, a time that's closer to what you're used to. Um, and so they came with the idea of, well, this is the opportunity for us to do a uh, taco tour, go to other communities, uh, and have kind of a preliminary events that lead up to, I always call it the, we always call it the Super Bowl of, mm-hmm. uh, type events, the, the big one. And, um, and so the, we'll, we'll, more to come on where we're, where the event will go, where the events will go, where the tour will stop off. But, uh, I credit those guys for saying, Hey, this is a year where you know, with some uncertainty on the other end, we know we can have a nice event. We know we can highlight these trucks. We know we can crown the winner and make it a fun event. Um, this is a way for us to go to go to some other communities and uh, do something different that leads up to the event in a way that is uh, we can start to plan. So uh, yeah. we look forward to being able to release the tour and talk about how that leads to the big day on October 23rd. Mm-hmm. So stud, Fresno State. I mean, we're talking taco trucks. They're, they're, you know, Fresno State football especially, but 
the tailgating there is incredible. I haven't seen any taco trucks out there. We're we're trying to get some trucks in, trying to get some things planned, and you know, same with Derek. You know, you're making plans as if you can have a nice full house, so you know, forty thousand on game one, but. You know, right now we're in the red tier, so we're still at 20%. But how do you make your plans to have a nice big, you know, Valley's biggest party six days a year is coming here August 28th. So how are we going to to make that big? Same thing. Everyone wants to come out, whether you go inside the stadium or not. I mean, you've, you all have your favorite spots that you tailgate every single game. So yeah. whether you're a red lot guy, a white lot guy, or you're over in the purple lot, whatever it's going to be, you want to get in there and, and party and hang out. So, we're, so you we're, think it's going to be something that could be a possibility? Uh, football, as far as tailgating and stuff football, like that? Football is happening, um, and, and it, it's on until it's off at mm-hmm. this point. So we've been making plans the whole time. So we'll wait and see kind of how our numbers go and some of the restrictions that we'll have as far as spacing and this and that. But, you know, Fresno State football without Fresno State tailgating wouldn't, wouldn't be the same thing. So it, it yeah. might look a little bit different, but once you roll into that lot and the barbecues start up and the music starts going, it's going to be it's gonna be pretty special. Good time. feel like we're back. There's been people partying outside. They're they're ready to. I tell you what, our our softball fan base might be one of the best of, of any sport in any town. Our softball fans are, are amazing. So they're even though they can't get in, they're out there on Barstow. They have got hibachi set up. Wow! Some guy even has an eight foot ladder with a little stadium seat on top. So he's looking over the fence, no watching way. every single yeah, can pitch. Can you see it from Barstow, or you, is there you, like a berm? You, you've got the, the berms out of the way. You've got a clear shot right in through home plate. You can okay. see almost every pitch. There's a couple little blind spots, but yeah, we don't have as many as Yankee Stadium. You can't see in half the uh, half the seats are in there. So <laughs> as as much as we love the Red Wave inside the stadium seats, they can get a pretty good shot from outside. We had a soccer game a couple weeks ago. Elsewhere drones out there on Barstow banging yeah. the drums. They were Vicente a- shout a- out. Every, everyone living in the uh, the par- apartments right there off of Barstow got a nice Sunday morning 11 a.m. wake up call. I saw they were drumming out there, they and were I drumming. talked to the guys. They're like, we we're looking through the the trees there, and we like caught the majority of the game. Their their view was a little more obs- uh, obscured, but I'll tell you what, their their drums came through loud. Yeah, and uh, San Diego State was not ready for that. No, so, no. What do you think the like the coaches, athletes, staff? How do you guys? feel about that oh z loves it i mean he, he's all about the as are we you know we same thing with you guys we want you know we want a thousand people in every soccer game we want forty thousand every football game you feed off that energy mm-hmm. you know even if you know whatever the outcome of the game is you, you want that atmosphere to be present and that's something you know soccer from from the fuego to to fresno state soccer games that are going on that atmosphere is something special and what's nice is you know when we moved out of bulldog stadium into the current soccer field you got those metal bleachers that are down so once you start stomping, stomping the feet you, you get a little more yeah. noise and people start chanting and clapping and hooting and hollering it's it's a pretty fun atmosphere throw a couple of drums and vuvuzelas in there and air horns and whistles and bells and whatever you can make noise on man just bring it out and yeah. have some fun it's, i mean it's it's interesting because i feel like the last few years of fuego and the first couple of years of fresno fc supporter culture just like blew up and uh Jeremy and I were on a podcast yesterday talking about kind of like how all that came to life and and how it happened. But this group of people just really took it on and then they've kind of branched out and evolved. And uh, I think when when Fresno FC went away, it was like, man, what are we going to do? We need soccer. Where are we going to go? And a lot of people turned to Fresno State women's soccer, which was totally cool. And uh, it seems like it's carried on ever since. They go out there all the time now. You know, it's similar to our tailgating culture for football and I'm probably your your biggest test case for soccer. I couldn't diagram you a soccer play, or I couldn't tell you this player from that player <laughs> if you paid me. But when you talk about the event and the atmosphere, I mean, that's what soccer has. So similar to our tailgating, some people might not be into football. Some people might not want to watch the game, but they want to come out and be a part of the event. So if you tell me, hey, you got a Sunday or Saturday afternoon, you can come out with a bunch of your buddies, you can make a bunch of noise, have some beverages, have something to eat, watch an event, be a part of something that's going on. That sounds like a pretty good day. So it's a good day. Whatever game is going on, it gives you somewhere to go, something, somewhere to be. And at the end of the day, if you're watching a fun, exciting game, it, it's just great. Yeah. So you, you kind of get that tailgating atmosphere is coming over to soccer. We, we got the room for it. We got the land for it. We got the atmosphere for it. We got the appetite for it, I should say. So it's, it's, it's kind of natural. It's exciting. I mean, uh, as I think through both where you guys are at now, Fresno State and still still the Grizz, like the, both of those places have played such an instrumental role in, in Fuego uh, in the past and, and really just Fresno soccer. I mean, Fresno FC played there for a while. Coach Z was one of the coaches. And, I mean, their early years, what were the early years like for you guys as, as Grizzly leadership with all of a sudden getting – because you started in, what, 06? Oh four. Oh four. So your third year, second year, Fuego came into the to the ballpark. Like, what was that even like? You know, uh, 
I, I remember it being exciting because, you know, it's sort of like the, the more events you have, the better. You know, any mm-hmm. any dark days are just days where, uh, yeah, you might say, oh, get a couple of days off here and there, but it didn't feel like that. It felt like we yeah. were growing as a overall organization. So uh, I was like Matt. I didn't play soccer or, you know, I, I'm a – I'm like Matt in the sense that I couldn't draw a play up or tell you much about the strategy of soccer. Oh, I didn't play soccer. I, I don't know if you played. I didn't, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I didn't want to assume, but based on what you said, I'm, I, I've, I have the same experience where my intro to s- soccer as a uh, uh, was as an operator in a, in a building and getting to see that the atmosphere and the energy that is just it's not like baseball clearly, um, and it's it's exciting. And so uh, I've I've got. Uh, I kind of fell in love with the operation and the um, soccer in a baseball stadium was my intro to being close to soccer, really. So mm-hmm. uh, it was exciting and fun. And we got to kind of at that time early on, we got to do a lot of cross promotion. That was part of the appeal of having the team under, you know, same ownership. And we got to I was doing ticket sales and leading the sales staff. And we got to do, you know, those like Fresno sports packages where you got soccer and baseball together. So it was fun to uh, have multiple properties in one and. And uh, and get introduced to what soccer the experience as a fan is uh, as a guy who never played it. It was cool. Did it change the culture a bit, guy? I mean, I'm thinking back. So, I mean, at, at the early on phases, it was free tickets for a while. I think with El Mexicano, I remember I know uh, Univision gave out a bunch of free tickets, and then I think the whole PA and everything was all in Spanish, right? Yeah. I, so was there like a shift in? the clientele that were coming into the stadium and like kind of maybe introducing a new market into the ballpark. That's the way we saw it from the, when we had our baseball hats on we said, look, we think this is getting, uh, uh, maybe a different, um, group that isn't coming to baseball games. In some cases, there's a lot of crossover too, but we felt like this was an opportunity for us to, um, have new folks come to the ballpark. It used to coming to the, the, once you come to the venue, then you're probably more open to coming to a baseball Tell game or a concert or mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, that was part of the play was, uh, to, you know, get people in the doors more often. Uh, and likewise get baseball fans to go to, to soccer games if they weren't doing it. So you can create that synergy when you're in, you know, all in control, one building, um, you know, separate staffs, sort of, but we, we had a lot of, a lot of shared, a lot of shared uh, responsibility there. And uh, you can kind of build on that energy and, and leverage each other's uh, crowds to try to, you know, grow both, which is mm-hmm. cool. It was really <clears throat> the moments I remembered seeing you and your family, Sarah and the kids come uh, to the games where you weren't like on go all the time like at a baseball <laughs> game i finally saw you like in shorts and flip-flops and you're yeah. hanging out with your wife and you guys are just like at the games and i was like hey this is this is cool i get to see Derek a little laxed yeah it was fun i, I mean i enjoyed that with the uh uh yeah my kids like they loved it i mean the atmosphere is just you, you know it's so different than baseball mm-hmm. and uh yeah it was nice to come out and especially in the fc days it was like uh got to come and just relax and enjoy the stadium for change because uh i really didn't have any responsibilities uh that weren't like high level uh emergency they'd call me if something bad happened but the dynamic in those days were different than even the fuego days i mean there was other management so we got Mm -hmm. to come and enjoy those more often which was great yeah what was it like figuring out how to change a baseball stadium into a soccer stadium (laughs) (laughs) that might still be my favorite thing was the first time uh, Club America came in. We had a baseball game on a Tuesday, and the soccer game was for Wednesday. Mm. So the baseball game ends at 10 o'clock, so at night, everyone leaves. We immediately start cutting out cutting out the sod, moving some things around, taking out the mound. Grass comes in that night. So by the time the sun was up the next morning, it was a soccer field. So for some of the inside sales guys that might not have been paying attention too much of what was going on, they walk up to, the, to their offices, and they're looking out, and they're going... There, there's no dirt like it's, it's gone it's great it was painted it was lined the field boards were up the goals were out and so yeah overnight we were able to put a soccer field up and that that, that first time club america came that was still probably the best at maybe until when chivas came maybe about 15 14 or 15 uh, 15 those are probably the top two crowds i've ever seen in that building and right. it is just you're sitting there and go well you know because there were a couple soccer games before you know monterey morelia came in in eight 2008 it was a decent crowd but not too great so when when they came in you know, the smoke bombs are going off. The banners are being unfurled from the top. The confetti's going. You're mm-hmm. going. What is this like? Wow. Thir- this is 13, uh, 11, 12, maybe 12, somewhere yeah. in there. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. Those Mexican league games. Me and Jeremy always tell stories. So my 
<clears throat> my first event that I'm working as like a, at a big soccer match, like I'd worked baseball and, you know, I, I did everything you could possibly try to do in the building ops and community and all this different stuff. And I, I'm all of a sudden at the game and, and it was, uh, I think it was Atlas and Leon and the promoter bless his heart <laughs> made a choice for whatever reason to put one large supporter section but it was two supporter groups that were right next to each other. And so the whole first half, they are throwing stuff at each other. They're going ham at each other. And then halftime hits, and everybody's got to get out of their seats, and a prison riot breaks out. I was sitting in 210, by the way, this entire time. I watched the entire thing on a It was fantastic. I am on the... <laughs> Talk about no responsibility. Oh, I'm, on the, I'm on the radio, like, begging for help. <laughs> Then <laughs> all I see is the PD just disperse because at the time they're like it's too many people. If they disarm us, let them go. We're we're in trouble. We're gonna not be involved. And they retreated until they had backup. But I'm sitting there in the middle. And anybody knows uh, Tony Wacker. <laughs> Tony Wacker is is a, the best security guard in the world. And he goes to try to separate the two like he's a Marvel character. <laughs> In the middle of this prison riot, and he just He's the eats. closest thing I know to a superhero. He is too, pretty close. By the way. That mustache is in every superhero movie you ever want to see. He eats shit. He just slips on beer and tumbles and falls. And you see trash cans being thrown. And I like the people that were using the trash can lids as like a, a Marvel shield. Yeah, like that was the best shot of the night. <laughs> Captain Fresno for the night. And uh, so finally we tell the teams, like, we need you to get back out on the field. This is the only way that this is going to correct this problem. So we cut halftime short, a couple minutes. They get out on the field. People go back, and all of a sudden things are better. But I was just like, this, is this what it's like? <laughs> this is what soccer's like. Okay, all right, I'm going to enjoy it. And that was my first real big soccer experience, and it was, it was kind of life-changing. <clears throat> Amazing. Yeah, I love those games, though. I mean, are there any potential plans to do some of those again soon yeah i mean we're, we're kind of watching for that it seemed like the the logical times were if i remember right sort of march was a, a target where we could get them sort of july-ish and then october so i think the july or october range is where we're hoping to uh, we've talked to a few of the folks that bring bring them through and mm -hmm. um you know waiting for things to get a little more certain but yeah it seems like you know when things were going well we'd get one to two of those games a year and for people and, uh, who well. want to kind of, uh, you know, always want, why isn't there more? Why can't we do them all the time? Whatever. The way it works is there's there's FIFA windows where the national teams are playing. And that's usually a break in the season where, let's say, Club America still has their full roster. A couple guys leave to play Mexico. And then there's, there's kind of a gap of a week where guys are playing internationally. But the teams, you know, still want to keep their players fresh. They want to have competition. Um, they want to make some money. So they travel. And a lot of teams have had a lot of success in, in Fresno at Chickchancy Park. I mean, Leon seems to be, like, really popular all the time. They've come probably four or five times now. They've been great. Um, but it's a, it's a cool experience, and I wish we could do it more. But people love it out here. It's the old barnstorming mentality. It's the same thing that brought Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig yeah. to the Fresno in the 20s and 30s. So I, I love that about soccer, the they that want. they do that, because, you know, baseball is different. Once the season starts, it's, you know, there's no – I mean, even they, baseball uh, will have a lot of guys who don't want to do, like, the World Baseball Classic because mm -hmm. they're worried about injury. And mm -hmm. that's a, a big concern when you play that long of a season. And uh, – and all that, so that's I love that about soccer that they'll go off and, and barnstorm, like you said, man. It's uh, it's so cool. I I think uh, if I, somebody would somebody will correct me, but I believe I'm right that uh, July third uh, with Chivas uh, was we set the stadium record on July third, and to the two ops guys, you know, it's sort of like if you leave. Uh, when the game ends and then you show up the next day for work, the field is transformed back. It takes all night and it's a miracle to, to play a soccer game and have uh, the stadium record for attendance on July 3rd and then turn around and have your biggest game, baseball game of the year, July 4th sellout baseball game with a with dirt and a base path and all the stuff that you had to reverse back. It's great. Build a mound, all that stuff. Uh, so I mean, shout out to, to Harvey and David. Those guys are <laughs> yeah. incredible. incredible. I mean, David is maybe even a better chef than he is a groundskeeper, uh, and his food is great. His food's really he's good. Famous. So he's famous. He's famous for that. He's famous in the league. 
Yeah, yeah like people come and they're like, it's it is the most famous tacos? secret of all of baseball. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the players yeah. that have eaten out in the little field shop is pretty spectacular. Uh, you the could best run, nights you could, ever were in that You could garage. run down a murderer's row, oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> a modern murderer's row of players who've had David's uh, post-game spread. <laughs> I remember I picked up, this was like my one random encounter with a, with a big-time big leaguer. I was driving a player and dropping him off at uh, the – it was the double tree. What what is it? Radisson. Radisson. Mm-hmm. The one, the other one, the Holiday Inn one. And I, I'm driving and I let the guy off, and then all of a sudden I see like some guy wave me down like I'm a chauffeur or something. He's like, "Hey, bud, can you give me a ride?" And I'm like, uh, "Yeah, sure." And then he gets in the car and he's like, "Hey, I'm Barry," and it's Barry Zito. And I didn't really recognize him. He had a hat on and everything. He has me driving around town for like 30 minutes, <laughs> and then drop him off at the stadium. But just like the coolest guy in the world and. It's so cool. I, I think like that. Those are the items that people, when they think about working in sports, they think about those times where it's like, man, you got to meet this guy or that guy, or you got to drive around or hang out with this guy. Or I played poker with uh, Daisuke Matsuzaka. That name might not be yeah. familiar. The gyro ball. Yeah. And uh, he didn't speak a lick of English, but we were just playing cards. And it's like those are the cool moments. In sports, where you're like, you have to pinch yourself and be like, "This is yeah. this is special." Well, you remember those moments to block out the horror that was a 12-game <laughs> homestand in August, <laughs> or when it's 114 degrees and you're setting up for a Fuego game, nailing turf down. Oh yeah, and it's too hot, yeah. you can't hold it. So yeah, you gotta have those good times <laughs> to block out the bad. There's a lot of those good clubhouse guys who come into town, and and you know, Zito asked for a ride out of the blue. Uh, I remember the guys telling me I have less of those interactions uh, because you guys were more on the operational side. I, did more of the ticketing side and stuff like that. So I have less of those, but I love all the stories because, like, Manny Ramirez comes in. He came in twice for yeah. us, uh, once with the A's and once with the Rangers when he was sort of trying to come back and play again after he'd been out, out for a little bit. And, uh, you know, I remember hearing stories like clubhouse guy, Manny, calls him over the corner. Hey, can you go buy me some uh, the new Nike shoes or whatever? And he, so this guy, go get him size 13 or whatever uh go to the mall get me these new shoes that came out gives him money to go get them guy goes and gets some shoes and one of the things about the clubhouse guys is there's a lot of tips flying around so there's a lot of famous stories about the big league guys with bigger salaries that uh, throw a big tip or buy a big fancy spread for the team when they're in town on a rehab or something and uh what i heard is manny ramirez's tip deal was he would pull out a, a pearl baseball and he'd autograph it and hand it to no. people <laughs> <laughs> so one of the guys went and bought him sneakers came back here you go. <laughs> he ended out on a good baseball like, I remember famously, I could be wrong, but I think he, after he got pulled from a game or a game he wasn't in, sitting up on the scoreboard yep. just eating, eating a banana. Eating a banana, sitting like on that. the manual scoreboard just It was like a game. Tuesday night, and it went extra innings. They pulled him. Uh, right, it pulled yeah. him like normal, like early, like a seventh inning. He was on uh, Joe's rib night. He was getting hungry too. Oh, Ooh. the rib night, yeah. <laughs> famous Joe Bones night. made some famous ribs out there. Too. Yeah, yeah. Famous uh, clubhouse visiting spread, Joe. Yeah, yeah. ribs yeah. and tri tip. Yeah, every uh, every once in a while, some Manny Ramirez story will come up, and I'll send Joe a text, just some funny picture, and I'll reply with. Don't ever forget, I once had to give him a piggyback ride around the visiting clubhouse. <laughs> he once gave me an ear massage. That's <laughs> what comes up every once in a while. He, he did a deal when he was with Sacramento Rivercats on the A's stint. I think he sat on the uh, the scoreboard with, with the Rivercats mm-hmm. as well. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, the game ended early, and we played like 12 innings or something. He was sitting on the manual score watching the game. But uh, earlier, pregame, he had a deal that he would do uh, – we saw him. Uh, he was there for a couple games, the whole series. And he'd pull out. He had a banana in his back pocket. And pregame, when they're warming up and stuff, and fans are starting up, he would, you know, he'd sign a couple autographs to do some stuff. And then he'd pull the banana out of his pocket and he'd pretend like he was talking on the phone on it. So if you, <laughs> if it's, if he needed to kind of break away from people asking for stuff, he'd go, hold on, hold on. I got to take this. And walk <laughs> and so we've got pictures of him selling the scoreboard, pictures of him with the banana oh. phone. Classic. What a character. Man. Did he see he still had his hair at that time? He was, he, he was bald when he came in. Oh, he took, that was yeah, the scariest thing the Dodgers ever. took his hair off. He was, he was walking down the airport in gold <laughs> metallic pants, wow. bald as could be, and I'm going, wow, that doesn't look right. <laughs> he's he's nice, man. He's super nice for being a you know a, 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 such a, a wild uh, yeah. story character of Major League Baseball. He's, he is I'll super nice. I'll never forget the time where he like cut off the cutoff, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> like a ball went all the way to left field, and the like center filler had to go get it. And he just stayed there, and then they tried to throw it into a cutoff, and he, like, jumped up and, like, took it. And he, cut it, it off. Like, he cut it off. He cut it off. It wasn't supposed to, but he did. 
If I was, it, a, I grew up Dodger fan. Of course, you know, I'm sort of a fan of. I'm not. It's not the same as it was growing up. But I was still rooting for the Dodgers pretty hard when they got him at the trade deadline. I mean, he was, he was unbelievable. He had like a, you know. RBI per he was game a average. He was like he 125 was, RBI a year. So on runs. that second half, they got him at the All Star break. He had, I think, he, I, I don't know the exact numbers, but if he played 42 games, he drove in like 43 runs. I mean, he yeah. was just on he fire. Was a beast. And uh, so we went back. We went to Dodger Stadium one time on uh, Manny Ramirez bobblehead night. You know, it was mm. like a Wednesday. You go midweek, and we went down to the game, and uh, we had we had four tickets. We ended up selling one of them because someone bailed. So we sold one of them and we and i the the lady that got the seat next to us in our group um bought a single came out and sat next to us and it was her birthday and she rolled out to the game solo on her birthday because she wanted to see manny on bobblehead or see manny bobblehead night and so we sat next to this nice lady and uh you know this is what i love about baseball games as a fan and and working there you know it's like there's all this stuff that's you're busy and all that, but the people is the best part. And in that experience, we're sitting there hanging out on Manny night. It was this woman's birthday. We, uh, Walmer Medina was in our group, and he I didn't even know it, but he got the whole uh, all the ushers and everybody to organize singing her happy birthday. Wow. I didn't know I was talking to her on this side, and they were, were to my right. Her and he was doing the work. Yeah, he yeah. did the work. We sung her happy birthday. Anyway, that it was so fun. But that night, uh, Manny didn't play. He got hit on. He got hit by pitch the night before, and you know this is like an inconsequential game. Later right. in the season, it's like it's not a I don't know who they were playing, but it was not a big game. They were really good, and and it was like oh man, he's not playing on bobblehead. So it's so funny because it's like we got to see Manny on his bobblehead the night we have the little toy of him in our hand. We want to yeah, see Manny, you know. Yeah. And uh, so it was kind of a bummer. So late in the game, game's close. Manny Manny was not playing that night but he was he was a go for a pinch hit or whatever and sure enough he comes in late inning with the game close and they throw him on deck and the crowd just it's packed on a midweek game because they dodgers do all fans get the bobblehead so they could get fifty thousand wow. people there on a wednesday or whatever and it's packed and everybody wants to see manny right so everyone's going crazy he's on deck you know there's that like oh man there he is and runner gets on they make a pitching change so then there's that all that dead time and manny's sitting there warming up and the place just has this anticipation building to see manny having a bat on bobblehead night and of course first pitch after the pitching change and all that time he parks one it is just a <laughs> bomb it, the second he hits it you know it's gone and like i said inconsequential game uh random middle of the week night and it's the you would you could have thought it was game seven walk off. People were going bananas. I was hugging this lady who's like on her birthday, <laughs> just because we got to see Manny hit one on Manny bobblehead night, and it was such a like a crazy moment that they later did a like a Manny bobblehead night bobblehead of him doing the curtain call. <laughs> I was like, man, like one of my greatest baseball memories of all time at a at a game enjoying it was. A game that meant nothing, but the yeah. guy who had the bobblehead night did something big. That's kind of the special thing about baseball, in a sense, is like crazy stuff can happen on random evenings. Yeah, and it's like it's different than soccer, where it's it's an event day. You build up all day for this, and you really like you hang on to the wins and the losses. Um, but baseball has this 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 magic to it that I think I'm. I really hope. Um, there's some big stars that that come out and and really kind of get baseball back in in the main fold because I think it's such a special game. I grew up. Uh, I remember my my introduction to baseball. My first love was uh, I was it was in school and I had to write a book report or some type of media report on something and so I chose the Sammy Sosa Mark McGuire home run race. So yeah, so my introduction to baseball was was falling in love with the home run race between Sammy Sosa. And uh, and and Big Mac, Mark McGuire, and it was just like man, the, there was something about that time, and then leading into the kind of the Barry Bonds and the steroid area, and Alex Rodriguez and Roger Clemens, there was like this larger than life personalities of these ball players, and I feel like the game has changed in a way where where the shiftings happen. There's more emphasis on. Uh, like the money ball type of situation a lot of guys are switching in and out i feel like it's kind of been harder to keep track of my team 
Like, I was a Giants fan. I'm a Giants fan. And I, I cannot tell you who is on the team anymore. And I want to get back into that love for the game. And so what what do you think are things that are kind of changing or evolving in the game that are, like, going to recapture people? Yeah, I, that's a great question. And I think it's interesting because it, it, it has gotten – you know, I'm a diehard baseball fan. I, I love the larger than life era of like the you watch the All Star game and you know King Griffey Jr. and and uh, the, all the big names and and they had they had real marketing mass appeal. Um, I I love the game now too because it's so interesting. We were talking earlier before we started about the shift and the money ball <laughs> aspect of it, and you know uh, it's so interesting how they've streamlined and created efficiencies and done all this stuff with data it's really interesting so so I, many people were pissed though because last year was covid year people are at home you can watch the world series not a lot of things otherwise going on and you get to the final game and the number one pitcher <laughs> for the rays gets pulled as he's pitching a shutout yeah um on analytic data yeah. and they lose the game and lose the series yeah. and you wonder like Man, I don't agree with that. Yeah, it's it's tough, and you know, I for me, I've, I remember seeing a game in Fresno Grizzlies. I have a picture on my phone of all four infielders on an aggressive shift in a. It was a playoff game for us, my AAA playoff game a couple years ago. All four infielders between first and second. Wow, they had nobody on one entire side of the field, um, and so you look at some of these things, and it's interesting. But to your point. Uh, I think baseball is is doing a good job of looking ahead now and going, how do we, you know, and some of these changes seem minor, but they're doing a whole bunch of experimental things in the minors this year that people will start to, they're testing them to see if they'll go to the big leagues. And there's subtle things like the, you know, the, for instance, one of them is the size of the bases will increase a little bit. And so that makes it less likely you know, to get picked off, for instance. Um, so it allows so you to be a little more you, aggressive as a base runner? Yeah, exactly. Because that part of the game has definitely gone away. There's no Ricky Henderson out there right now. Right, right, exactly. Um, and so I think baseball is looking at, and it might seem subtle to go, oh, the base is you know, Two inches I, bigger or whatever, whatever it is, yeah. right? Um, or I'll, I think the thing where you, the guy has to face, the relief pitchers have to face a minimum number of batters before they can switch will change. I think that's a, it seems minor, but it's, it's big because, you know, it slows the game down too, right? If you come out and lefty specialist throws six pitches, then you got to wait for another change. So uh, I think that I think that will add and make the offense different. And I think baseball is trying to keep the, the balance of tradition and balance of being you know America's pastime and make changes that um, feel subtle. But I think I think they're being more aggressive about that, about speeding the game up and making it so that it's not all home runs or strikeouts. And yeah. uh, it's interesting when you hear a guy like Theo Epstein, who's uh, one of the revered uh, modern baseball uh, analytical successful guys, step aside from his job with the Cubs and then you know, more or less say some of the things we've done have damaged the, the game. It's interesting to hear that from him, who was one of the handful of, if you say money ball, you think of Billy Bean, but – you're gonna yeah, think Theo of, was Red you're Sox, gonna think of Theo and, then, yeah, and, and some of those some of those first you know young next wave of GM guys that were successful. It's interesting to hear him kind of allude to like, well, some of these things uh, have made the game less entertaining, and uh, you know, I think he's one of the guys now looking at some of these rules with baseball. So it's interesting, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, I th- I think that, uh, but yeah, to your point, it 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 can be challenging to follow your own team because the analytics makes you reset your roster every day. Uh, my dad's. I grew up a Dodger fan. I follow our affiliates more so now, and and it's different for me as a as an executive. Uh, you can name their starting. You name their starting lineup. Like well, the Dodgers are. Memory, it felt like the Dodgers. I think won that World Series last year. One big reason was they're so deep. I mean, yeah, you got Chris deep. Taylor and and Kike uh, uh, Hernandez. I mean, they got massive depth, and they play the numbers and stuff. So. You know, my my dad's a perfect example. He he he'll rattle off the Garvey Lopes, uh, you know that same infield they had forever back uh, back then. I mean, you can't see the same lineup two days in a row. Oftentimes, yeah, the Cal Ripken, it, it mm-hmm. will never be broken. I don't. Yeah. Think. So it's interesting because you you know recently, uh, you know, you really have to. I I meet a lot of people who have a harder time following their own team because the roster moves are so frequent, the benches are deep. They use the bench players as Mix frequently. and match frequently based on matchups. It's different. You got to follow more closely, um, and so yeah. Oh, the I, DH. 
This is something I've I've flipped it's on. It's got to be in both leagues. This is something I've flipped on. I was I'm a National League guy. I grew up a National League guy too, and I love the the strategy that went into double switches and you know and all these these adjustments. Tony, you at like the end Tony Larusa like batting the hit, I, the, the pitcher eight spot. And yeah, stuff like it's that. crazy. But but as I grow <laughs> older and I realize I think baseball needs some kick in the pants. I think to watch a lineup go through of all guys that can can perform. Uh, is a more appealing thing to the fans. You know, uh, uh, inside baseball thing, like the best pitchers in the league, the ace pitchers with the, the think of whoever you think of when I say ace pitcher, you go back in their early part of their baseball playing days in high school or college or whatever. I bet you all of them were played shortstop, they batted, hit 400, batted 400, yeah, hit right. bombs. And then you get them to the big leagues and they have to focus on pitching and then they then you put them out there to bat. And t- imagine how, like, I've gotten tired of, as an old baseball guy, watching the best athletes and the best overall baseball players in the world become pitchers and then go in the batter's box and look completely ridiculous. Yeah, awful. It's crazy. I mean, so uh, I think I mean, it's— you look I at th- a guy recently, I, AJ, I think it's, AJ I think it's Reed, over, yeah. Like, A.J. Reed was a—I think he was national pitcher of the year and maybe national hitter of the year at the same time yeah. or something like that. Hit the most home runs in Grizzlies history. Yeah. But he was—you know, he, he ended up switching over, but— yeah, you see guys in college that do it both, and and then it just fades away. I just how, really how much it. more that ball breaks from high school to junior college to college to minors to majors is just, just yeah. the, you just can't enough. hit it. And to pitch at that level, you you can't focus on the hitting. Also, you just can't do it. So, yeah. uh, I think it's you know, as an old National League guy who used to say, "Don't do it." I'm all for it, man. I think yeah. you. I think you. You get and college more. College is all everybody DH, right? There's a DH for the most part. Yeah, there there is a DH, but some some pitchers do hit, but it's mostly DH. Mm-hmm. And but. do you see a lot of changes happening? Like, is it mostly Major League Baseball that's driving the change in baseball, or do you think some of this stuff's happening at the college level? Some of it's happening right now, and especially you know for the for the COVID year when a lot of uh, the schedules have been altered, and you're playing more double headers. But also now, a lot of our games will start extra innings with a runner on second, which Mm -hmm. I love, and I know people don't like it, but I'll tell you what, it adds another element of kind of a little bit of craziness into the game. So it's another little element you have to prepare for. You know, we added it a little bit later. So getting that in there, I think, is great. There's a lot of switching that's going on in, in college baseball. I think it's a little bit behind. Um, but it's just, yeah, same thing. You know, a lot of those games are long. There's a lot of pitchers that are trying to get in. A lot of players are trying to get in. The same token, you know, all of the, the numbers that are out there with the majors, you got to remember those guys are paid to sit there and read the numbers the entire time. College baseball players are trying they're trying to do all that those numbers things, but – they're in class in the morning, and they some yeah. guys have a part-time job yeah. at some point. They're going back and forth, and you know their window to take care of that is a little bit shorter. So they're trying to absorb as much as they can. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, one of the things people kind of talk crap on soccer, traditional like American sports fans, is the draw, you know, a tie. And I know we hate it in baseball, but all of us have worked in baseball for a long time. Like, there's nothing worse than a 14-inning game. Whatever like, you're gonna no do, just do it quickly. No one <laughs> wants do to be quickly. there. No, the players want to get out. The coaches want to get out. The staff wants to get. To go into an 18-inning game is not good for anybody. So it's like, man, could they have a draw? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But it's these long games that burn a bunch of pitchers, and you have position players all of a sudden throwing innings like. Really, what's the point of that? You know what? Just come out in the 13th inning and say, all right, we're going to a coin flip. Someone's winning this game, <laughs> and someone's going home. The beer's on ice. Arm let's, wrestle. Let's, let's arm wrestle let's for it. Get everyone out the door. <laughs> Can we save on some labor costs? We shut the gates. Well, yeah, over, most you know? places stop serving beer. The number one you know, top-selling item on every every place's uh, list in America. Uh, they're done selling beer in the 7th or 8th inning, so you're not making money. You're staffing it. and. Hardly anybody can stick around for it. You know, I've been at a couple games that went, you know, 14 innings as a fan, and I'm, and you know, you get past the point of delirious where you're like, oh man, let's, what's the record? You know, I want to yeah, be here yeah, for the right. longest game in history. That's cool once, right. and then every other time that you're next year in game, it's like, come on, it's let's Tuesday just, night, it's like 12:30. And I mean, I'm from night. a development side to Matt, like Matt's saying, you, you run through pitchers. Yeah. In the minor leagues, it makes far, I mean, even less sense because. Um, there's no reason to burn through pitchers and go through all this heartache over, uh, you know. Wins and losses are fun. You 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 top this. St- we keep standings and have playoffs and all that stuff. At the end of the day, you're not helping the guys develop by doing that. So I like this the runner on second thing too. Um, again, old traditionalists. I I'm a young old traditionalist, but you watch a few of those games. It's like you know the the small ball is 
much more absent in the game today. It's super absent. And so when you get the runner in second and it's the kind of a sudden you death type over, thing, or, yeah. you see him bunt him over, you got a runner on third, you got drama quickly. It's cool. It's fun. Everyone puckers up a little bit. Oh, no, what do I do? And the thing I said earlier. throw and he's, he's on third, he's at home. <laughs> yeah. The thing I said earlier about the four Got, that was in an extra innings situation. Sudden, you know, do or die moment. They had the four guys on one side, and uh, yeah, it's it's cool. There's no more comical thing, especially in a minor league game, of the the balance between the fans enjoying the game and the people that just want to go home. Is when the marketing staff puts up the free baseball logo on the jumbotron <laughs> there, and you see everyone behind the seeds just hanging their heads, going, "Son of a." <laughs> One person's letting all the stuff. Yay, free baseball for time. Baseball. Everyone else going, get us the hell out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Try to get home. I got to get free ready baseball. The morning. I love that. <laughs> well, to shift gears a little bit and, and kind of start to, to close out, I mean, the Grizzlies have been very successful over the last 20 years. You guys are continuing to evolve and change and do different things, and you're in a new league this year. And, you know, there's a lot of people out there who think about, you know, how does baseball and soccer synergize? How does Fuego and the Grizzlies synergize? And I think for a lot of people, for me in particular, um, I think the rising tide raises all boats. And some of the best years I think of, of Grizzlies and Fuego is when they were together and they were operating as one and there was shared staff and collaborative things happening. So I think for a lot of people out there listening, you know, you and I talk frequently and I think it's really important that we find ways to collaborate and do things together and support each other as, as a, you know, local sports entities to not see ourselves as separate or competitors, yeah. but really raising up our, our community. And I think that's super important for our, for our listeners to really hear. Yeah, absolutely. I've, we've always said, and it's the same for Fresno State. People will ask us all the time, you know, is it competitive or is it – you know, we just don't see it that way, you know. And, uh, yeah, every now and then you call somebody who was doing a group outing picnic with us and you call them and they say, hey, we're going to tailgate this year or we're going to go to a, do soccer instead. Those are onesie twosies, big deal. You're, to your point, uh, the the analogy you use of the, the rising tide lifts all ships, that's what you want. And, and you, Fresno can turn out and be a big sports town and you want synergy and you want everybody to do well because, uh, you know, that it's a lot of the same people that go to all these events. Even though we talked about there's some crossover appeal, like you, you know, soccer has some fans that baseball doesn't have, and football has some fans that soccer doesn't have. There's a lot of crossover, and because mm-hmm. you know, if you love sports and you love this town, you're probably going to go show up to a lot of these things. So, yeah, energy's good, man. And um, you know, I think it's uh, it's a, a myth we can, if you call it a myth, that, we, that people think we're all uh, figuring out how to beat each other couldn't be farther from the truth right uh, especially in our situation we're in a unique one now where the three of us have all worked yeah. cl- in the same organization yeah and we're better for it collaboration's yeah. a great thing yeah definitely i'm gonna need a couple tickets for opening day too if you can, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you can make that yeah, spot me if you as well yeah, we've got limited capacity okay so just <laughs> well thank you guys for being on it's a lot of fun i i'm sure we talked a lot of baseball and it's cool to see some crossover between the sports but uh yeah just thank you guys and i mean really lastly for me i appreciate both of you both of you have been mentors in my career and obviously you know started my sports career working for both of you guys and you've been top class great leaders people to look up to and and this community is lucky to have both of you hey right back at you man we've all learned a lot from each other and i think that's uh the beauty of it man so thanks for having us it's fun absolutely dale fuego dale fuego (laughs) thanks we're out